0: Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton, I'm here with Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hello, Jenna. Hi, it's great to be here. And Dr. Brian Goff is doing some really incredible work today for Bridge Meadows. It's a fabulous organization, if you don't know about it, um, that provides integrated housing solutions for foster families, which I think is just so cool to bring grandmas down with the little babies and give everyone a chance to integrate in one household. I love that Brian is on the board there and doing that work. So good for for you. Um, It it is with such great pleasure that I get to have Liz Prado in studio today. Liz, I'm such a fan of your writing and your teaching and your poetry and everything that you do in the world. So thank you so much. Liz is here to talk about creativity and chronic illness. And I think that uh, this last year was the first time that I ever saw you post something about the fact that you suffer from a chronic illness. Why did it take you so long to be open about it? Uh, It took me so long to
1: be open about it because I was afraid of the judgment that comes in our society with people who are sick or disabled in some way. And I thought people would treat me as less than. Less than capable, less of a person if I did that.
0: Uh, Jenna, just jump in from the very beginning. Do you think that that's true or is that
2: self-stigmatizing? Well... I mean, we learn our self-stigmas from the messages we get from from our society. It's not like you woke up and said, "You know what? I would like. I would like to think that maybe I'm less than." <laughs> yeah, so right. yeah, if, you know, <laughs> we internalize these messages, but absolutely there's there's so much when it comes to chronic health problems. There the there's the you're less than, you're not capable, you can't be relied on. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the really It's kind of just up in your head kind of thing. Or I know what stomach aches are like. And so there's there's so much that people with chronic health problems struggle with. Um, Yeah. One of the um, fascinating things is to go back to
0: your original writing on when you first started getting sick. And I want you to be as vivid as you can in your storytelling (laughs) about that as you were in that article.
1: Okay, so this was in uh, February of 2013, and my dad and brother in 2008-2009 were suffering from just the apex of severe mental and physical illness, and um, they lived in Denver, and I was up in Portland, and I was trying to manage that situation from afar, and yet they really didn't want any help, so it was just this constant hitting my head against a wall, and at the same time, just watching them go down the drain, and which in fact they did. In 2010 my dad died. We're pretty sure he killed himself um, with an overdose of pills and then a year later my brother died. And my mom had died when I was 26 years old. So Mm -hmm. here I was, 44 years old. My whole family was dead. My family house was in foreclosure because my dad had died with massive debt and I had to clean it all out in four days. This 4,000 square foot house. And they were both small time hoarders. There was stuff literally from when my dad was in the Navy, you know, in the 1940s. In the house, going all the way through, which you'd think would be cool, like, "Oh, hey, here's this cool thing at dad's." But it was just such a stressful situation. There was no time to stop and get sentimental or nostalgic about anything. So I had gone through all of that and um, been super depressed and um, and and suicidal. And so I was put on some antidepressants that did get me out uh, off the ledge there, but also put 25 pounds on me and made me very lethargic um, and made my uh, thinking very, very foggy. And I couldn't write at all for this long period of time. So right before... uh, February of 2013, when my husband and I had gone on this trip, I had decided to go off that antidepressant and really was ready to get my life back. I was so excited to be able to go and climb mountains and you know, go down into Waimea Canyon on Kauai and have a, have a satisfying, good physical relationship with my husband and all those things that I hadn't been able to do. And so we went on this trip, and the first morning, it was absolutely gorgeous, and I woke up early, because I always wake up early when I'm there, and I got to see the sunrise, and, um, you know, it was all these beautiful purples and pinks and palm trees swaying and birds singing, and I realized I had a sore throat. And I know my body really well, and I know that when I have that kind of sore throat, the, like, no matter how much you drink, I couldn't, you know make it go away it was scratchy I know that means the beginning of a cold and I was like oh man this sucks I'm in Hawaii and I have a cold but I also thought I knew my body that what happens when I get a cold is just like kind of everybody else's you know like you like have a cold for 10 days seven to 10 days and then it goes away and I usually have a cough that hangs on for a while um, and so I expected that that was going to happen. Well, I ended up being sick for a month and with severe bronchitis and um, couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't, And I was supposed to be teaching, and people had to come in and teach my classes for me. And it was really just a, a very difficult period of time. And so when I got well from that, I was like, okay— I'm never going to take my health for granted again. I'm just going to be a healthy person and I'm going to do everything that makes me happy and I'm going to teach classes and take classes and I'm going to be physically active and all those things. But what ended up happening instead is I started actually just being really tired all the time. And I started having more and more sensitivities to noise and to light, to being in crowds. And I noticed that things were just wearing me out in a way that they had never worn me out before. Mm. So instead of getting better, I was
0: actually getting sick. It took so long and so many doctor's appointments before you were finally diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. So was that a full year? later that you finally got your diagnosis? Actually, a year later, the diagnosis
1: I got was what they call adrenal fatigue, yeah. which is a diagnosis that's accepted in the alternative medicine community, but not in the Western medicine community. But the theory behind that is your your adrenals have been overstressed because you've been stressed and aren't producing enough of the hormones like cortisol that you need to just deal with the everyday stressors in life. And so the theory was that like we'll restore your cortisol and we'll help your body heal. And in like one or two years, you'll be better again. Yeah. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. Wow.
0: Yeah. And so how how did you finally get to the investigation of the, is there a blood test? Is there? There's, it's just symptomology. Yeah. Right? Wow. It's a
1: diagnosis of exclusion. Like you try and get rid of all the other things that it could be. So, um, and honestly, like the way my diagnosis came about is like my naturopath said, Yeah, I think that's what you have, and we're going to start treating from that perspective. But my um, primary care physician um, was. I think she gave me the diagnosis because I was frustrated and she said, and I was, I was asking her, like here, I was saying to her, here are what my problems are. We were having a phone consultation and she said, I think you should take a healthy back class. And I was like, what? And she said, well, you know, you're having all these pains because pain is a part of chronic fatigue syndrome often. And I said to her, so wait, you're, you're telling me, honestly, you think all my problems will go away if I just take a class to strengthen my back
0: muscles. Wow. And she said, yes, I do. Wow, this is this gets to Jenna's initial point. It's So it's not just society at large who says it's in your head. Yeah. It's even the medical profession. Oftentimes people with these chronic illnesses are being told by their physicians, well, you know, we do think it's a little in your head. Mm-hmm. That's difficult.
2: Yeah, and I guess, you know, to put myself in the perspective of physicians, we, we sort of expect our physicians to have the answers to everything. We kind of put them on this pedestal like they're God. And the, of course, they're human beings. And of course, they don't have any more answers from science than, you know, science has to offer. and so if if they don't have, Uh, an idea about what's going on with you, uh, of course they're going to just sort of throw out there what they do know does help. Like, yeah, if you're having back pain, it probably would be helpful for you to like work on your back stuff. Is that the solution to what's going on? Is that the cause? Probably not, but that's what she knew how to offer. And so I I think it's not helpful for us to kind of vilify the Western medicine um, in this, it's it's a system-wide problem that we think we're supposed to have the answers to all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. And if it's not, it's either the physician's problem or it's your problem and it's just up in your head. And the fact is, it's probably a lack of knowledge problem. Yeah. Yeah. So is there more information now about
0: chronic fatigue syndrome, how much more widespread it is than when you were first diagnosed?
1: Um, a little bit, and it's been really wonderful that there's a researcher at Stanford University who has taken this on, um, because his own son is completely debilitated by chronic fatigue syndrome, and um, so he's been doing research at Stanford. He got the grants for it, and it's really you know just great that he's able to do this. And since then, that's bringing a little bit more legitimacy to this concept mm. of it being an actual disorder, disease, whatever, and even just within the last four months, he was finally able to identify a biomarker uh, that people with chronic fatigue syndrome have that other people don't. Wow! Um, So for the first time, there's actually a a way to test for chronic fatigue syndrome. That doesn't mean yet
0: that there's a way to treat it, but they're heading that direction. That's fantastic. Uh, Something you said really struck me, because I know now three people who suffer from chronic fatigue, quite um, uh, serious cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where it really impacts their lives. And all three had extreme stress right before they were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Is there a marker for that? Is that one of the things that happens is that there is some rush of those stress hormones, the adrenals do get fatigued, that there is some way in which the body kind of crashes? Possibly. Um, You know, those are the two things
1: that we see most often with people who have chronic fatigue syndrome is that they either had a viral infection of some kind right before the disease took hold and or some serious stress and we know that stress weakens our immune system and you know ca- so everything anything can sneak in at that period of time too so my you know my guess is that there's a combination of things that are happening and again that's what makes it so complicated is it's not just this one thing you know yeah, when somebody right. has strep we're like oh they have the strep bacteria here's some antibiotics you know and in those things Western medicine is awesome for certain things like that you know if I have like a blocked artery I want Western medicine and they're helping me fix it <laughs> you right. know they have wonderful knowledge about those things but they're not in a place right now where where they have a lot of knowledge about uh, diseases of the immune system. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so, uh, and immune disorders are like the big mystery of the Mm -hmm. 21st century. Um, We're going to be talking with someone about Lyme disease, and I was just reading the statistics and how overwhelming it is, especially from the psychological Mm -hmm. point of view, that there is this stigma in society. There isn't enough science to actually help And then the unknown, the not being able to plan your life from day to day. I really want to talk about how you cope with some of those issues. Because I think about you, Liz, you're one of the most like bubbly, bright, (laughs) engaged people. And I can imagine it drives you crazy to not be able to say, yes, Thursday at seven, I'll be there. Yeah. It
1: is. And that that's really hard for me. I mean, I'm just getting a little teary even thinking of that exact example of um, I want to be able to be there for people. Um, I want to do it because it's fun, but I also want to support all my friends and my community and all these different things like I used to. And I can't do that anymore. And you know, you're right, Sheila, people who see me out in public, they see me as bubbly, they see me as energetic, whatever those things are. That's because the only time I'm out in public is when I'm not sick. You know, or not, every once in a while, I suppose if someone ran into me at Fred's or at, you know, Kaiser or someplace like that, they'd see me looking sick. But very rarely, you know, I'm not. Um, so I, I I can't plan much. Um, everything is a maybe I'll be there, maybe I won't, which, of course, makes me look undependable. You know, right. as Jenna yeah. was saying, right. which is part of, you know, what I don't want to be. I don't want to be an undependable person.
2: And then there's that whole piece that of like there's the psychological component too, right? Right. So often, especially in Western medicine, we love to try and make this distinction of like physical health problems Mm -hmm. and psychological (laughs) problems as if somehow the body was separate than the mind. But of of course, there's always this interaction. And so when our bodies are run down, when we're not able to do the things that give us pleasure and joy and meaning, like being able to be there for our friends, it takes a psychological toll on us as well. And that's when things like depression come in and things like... Gosh, what kind of a person am I now? I used to be a quote unquote a reliable person, and Mm -hmm. now I am a quote unquote unreliable person, as if you are somehow a different human being because your body's responding in this way. And so there is a lot of overlap between chronic what look like physical health problems and psychological um, struggles, which is why people who have chronic health problems often really benefit from seeing a therapist because of all the psychological side effects. Jenna, how do
0: you begin to work with that, that that sense of disappointment is what causes depression. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it's like I really wanted to do this and I have a fever of 102 and I have body aches and I I can't breathe because of my And I could infect someone else. I can't go again.
2: Yeah. So how do you work with that? Yeah. I might just say it's slightly different. I would say kind of in general from an ACT perspective, one of the things that contributes to kind of things that look like depression are not being is not being able to live a life that's in line with your values yeah, right so that's mm-hmm. kind of how we talk and, about and it she from, talked about what her values exactly. are exactly she wants to
0: support her friends exactly she wants to be, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. exactly it so yeah. it
2: isn't just oh darn I didn't get to go to the show like a disappointment like right. that it's I don't get to be that person. And so what we do, what I don't work with uh, chronic pain and, and chronic health stuff, but from an ACT perspective, it is an evidence-based treatment for that. And what we do is we help you kind of connect with, okay, so what what's the value behind you going to that show? Is it, I want to be I want to be a reliable friend. I want to be loyal. I want to be caring. I want to be supportive. Okay. So then how do you do that thing, given what your body is capable of doing right now? And Mm -hmm. it may not be to go to the show, but there are other ways you can sort of live out that value in whatever context you're in. Um, So that's, from an ACT perspective, a very simplified way of one strategy.
0: I remember reading the book. um, It was about that award-winning thoroughbred um, by a woman who had chronic fatigue. And Mm, she mm. essentially just said, this is my reality. I'm not getting out of bed for probably the next year. But she and her husband built this computer desktop. And one of her symptoms was vertigo. So she had to to actually kind of arrange so that it was almost upside down for her to be able Mm -hmm. to do it. But she finished a book. And I Uh love that idea of even in our worst physical capacity, we can still imagine what is it I care about,
2: right? Because we get so focused on the actual outcome. Oh gosh, I didn't get to go to the show. And the show is not what's important. It's you being able to be a supportive friend, mm-hmm. let's say, yeah. that's important. And so if we can shift the, the outcome, what we would call the, the specific goal, and just have you sort of move course to a different attainable goal that still moves you in that, that direction of being a support, it's not that there isn't disappointment, Of course there is. And then we work on acceptance strategies Mm -hmm. and compassion strategies to deal with the disappointment. But at least you're still getting to live a life that feels worthwhile to you.
0: You know, one of um, the—I really appreciate your honesty, Liz, in your posts about the reality of living like this. And one of the posts that you said was, please understand that— I still want to be asked. Oh, Oh, it broke my heart. And it it was so true that just because we're really busy or our kid is sick or we're sick, it doesn't mean that we don't want to be invited in. I thought that that was such a beautiful, really poignant way of saying to people, don't count us out because of these illnesses.
1: And I think that's one of the big fears I had of coming forward about the illness is people would just, even out of this beautiful place in their hearts of you know, wanting to take care of me or not stress me out or put me in an awkward position, that I was afraid they would just be like, well, we won't ask Liz out to dinner and we won't ask Liz to come do this reading or we won't, you know, whatever the thing was. Um, and it is really hard. This is something I've been thinking about recently. How many times I have to say I can't. And it is really, really hard psychologically, I think, to constantly say, I can't, I can't, I can't, Uh I can't. Um, But at the same time, I, I didn't, I, I, that's my thing. You know, like <laughs> I have to deal with that and I don't want anyone else to take responsibility for the fact that I have to constantly say I can't. Um, and how they respond to that too. They probably have something on their end. Like, how does it feel to have a friend who's constantly saying I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, and then one day, Oh wait, yeah, that works. I can. Yeah. Let's do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you just said that. Cause I think Sheila, that explains kind of a bit of what you were talking about before, um, This idea, if trying to avoid the other person feeling disappointed is so important then of course I'm not going to ask Liz out. Because if I never ask Liz to go to the show, then she never has to say I can't. Mm. And then she doesn't feel disappointed. But you know what else she doesn't get to do? She doesn't get to feel included. She doesn't get to feel loved. She doesn't get to have the opportunity to be a supportive friend if that's what's important to her. And so that's why kind of this thing that we do of, oh gosh, I got to treat you like you have like you couldn't possibly experience a, a a a difficult emotion like disappointment actually makes things worse for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I was so um,
0: really buoyed by was when uh, Lady Gaga's documentary shows how how much she suffers with immune disorder. She has really serious fibromyalgia and I think some chronic fatigue. And um, who would think, right? Right. Like based on what she does. But the symptoms were so striking to me uh, around just great muscle pain and joint pain. Do you have that? As I have well? some
1: of it, probably not to the same extent and yeah. chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia are really intertwined. Yeah. There's a hmm. lot of things and it's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes which one is it. And there's just a few small characteristics that maybe put it in this camp or in that camp instead. But I do have a lot of that that pain and especially it's made worse in the winter, the cold weather and the barometric pressure fluctuating makes it a lot worse. And so I just, and I also have depression. And so I just know in the winter, it's just a crappy time for me. Um, But part, it's interesting. Part of it is that acceptance. It's like winter's just less for me. You know, it's just different. That's a way, that's a great, you know, I'm going to spend more time in bed. And so one thing I just did for instance, is I just went onto eBay and I, bought these beautiful colorful outdoor metal sculptures to put on the deck outside my bedroom. Uh-oh. So when I'm lying in bed all the time, I'm not just looking at the gloom. I get to look at these these red flowers and there's one that's a fish swimming through grass and there's another one that's a gecko. You know, so I get to like still have this beautiful thing in front of me despite the fact that I'm Stuck in this mm. situation.
2: Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems I think with using that word acceptance around people who have <laughs> yeah. either shitty chronic, times. yeah, yeah, <laughs> chronic health, right. health problems or trauma is that you're told. You know, you just gotta accept it and move Get on. Get over it. Get over yeah. it. And when I use the word acceptance, first I even though I do acceptance and commitment therapy, I almost never use that word. I always I always use the word willingness. Uh, mm. And when I mean acceptance or willingness, I simply mean could you be willing to be with what is right now? It's it's like this right now. And as soon as you can say, it is like this right now, then you can actually do something useful and so compassionate and kind, like, okay, given that it's like this right now, maybe the kind thing to do would be to put some beautiful flowers out on the Mm -hmm. patio so I can look at those in the wintertime. And you can actually be more responsive to yourself. Mm -hmm. But please don't hear us saying on this show that acceptance is, well, yep you got dealt a shitty hand. I guess you just got to buck up and accept it. I'm really, really glad not you said that. Yeah. I am saying. I think yeah. a lot
0: of people hear that word and just completely oh, jump to the wrong, yeah, <laughs> the wrong. I hate that word. Maybe, um, willingness and con-
2: commitment yeah. therapy. You should change it. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Steve Hayes know that. <laughs> um,
0: I did want to ask you, uh, Liz about writing because I mm. know it must be such comfort that you actually have a job <laughs> in which you can do from a bed. Thank God. Um, <laughs> But when you're depressed, there's no good writing that comes no. from a state of depression. So because it is your job and because I know you're prolific, how do you get yourself into a state where even whiffs, because winter months, especially in Portland, oh, yeah. are long. long. I, I know you're not not writing the entire <laughs> right. time. How do you do it?
1: Um, I think it really makes a huge difference to have a specific project that I'm working on in some way I can actually focus. Yeah. Because otherwise I would just be like, oh, I don't know. I can't think of anything to write. I guess I won't write today. But if I have this thing... I, you know, I do that. And I also set these goals for myself. So, for instance, obviously, I'm depressed. It's winter. It's cold. I'm in pain. I want to take a hot bath. But sometimes I'll say, you know what, I can't take that hot bath until I write for an hour. Uh-huh. You know, not as a, you know, it's not like a withholding from myself. It's an, a reward. Right. It's all yeah. these ways right. I can reward myself for it. And at the same time, sometimes I just go, this is not when it's going to happen. Uh This is, you know, I haven't written for several days or whatever it is. I also just have to accept that sometimes that is my reality. And um, I guess I kind of want to go back a second to when I was first got that first got diagnosed and I got that um, and I didn't write for like. Oh, I guess it was before I got diagnosed. It was when I was on the antidepressant that just gave me horrible brain fog. And I didn't write for nine months. And that was really scary to not be able to write at all for nine months. I could not even write like a sentence. Mm. Um, and then I just started little bit by little bit by little bit. And what was so scary about it was, okay, if I'm a writer and I can't write, yeah. what am I? You know, mm-hmm. I really felt like I'd lost a piece of myself. But here's the thing. I came through that. And I wrote two books after that or published, you know. And so now I know in my head, it's just this thing I have to remind myself. It's like just because I don't write for a few days or a week
0: or, you know, whatever doesn't mean I'm not a writer. It will come back. Yeah, that's really good. Like such an amazing strategy. I want to ask about how this impacts your marriage because it's hard Mm -hmm. on our partners. It's, mm-hmm. it's difficult on the people who have to take care of you when you're sick. Mm-hmm. So how do you have compassion both for yourself and the people who live in your in your sphere. Yeah. Well, in this situation, so I don't have any children,
1: which I honestly don't know how people who have chronic illnesses do it. I mean, how do you, you can't get out of bed and, and there's children that need to be cared for. Um, I, I don't really know how that works very well, but I know it does. I'm very fortunate that I have a very compassionate, kind, giving, generous partner. And that's part of his profile is he likes to take care of of people, wow. um, And it was funny because when we first met, I sort of considered that like a dysfunction. Like, oh, he's codependent. Because, you know, I was like, <laughs> those were the words back right, then. We exactly. were also worried about right. that stuff. And then right. it took me pretty far into life to realize, oh, that makes him feel good. Wow. It's what he's good at. It makes him feel good. And at the same time, I still watch out for those points of, you know, because I still want him to take care of himself. And so I watch out for those points of where I think, like, is this too much for him? Is this too hard on him? But he, he's, he's great. And I mean, I don't. I have read stories of people whose partners weren't, yeah, and who got
0: divorced. Yeah, lot of, a lot of, yeah, uh-huh, because they're just this. It's like there's a belief that they didn't sign up for anything except a healthy partner.
1: Yeah, you know? or they still think they're faking it. Like, why can't you just get out of bed? I mean, right. I, I hear yeah. stories right. like that too, which are
0: just heartbreaking. Yeah, um, you know, I think the mystery around these um, illnesses are. It's probably likely going to be solved. Yes, in probably a decade, I would think. Let's just put it out there as some mm. hopeful thing. But have you ever reflected on what it, what it's been like to live during the mystery times? You know, I think that it's such an interesting idea. We know so much about heart disease. We know so much about muscular disease. We know Mm -hmm. so much about the human body. And yet with the immune system, we are like kind of how our understanding is like it is with our brains. We know so very little. And you in some ways are at the nexus of this mystery. Um, It's interesting. I don't really
1: know how to put this, but there's a way in which it puts us, puts me in touch with this sort of spiritual side of myself. And I'm not a, I'm not a religious person. I don't, but at the same time, I really have to like think about who I am at my core a lot Mm. and uh, what is malleable and what's not, what can be taken away from that and what can't. And that may be true with other diseases too, where we know how to cure them or we know what the causes of them are. But um, it's a lot of time. And especially because this is an invisible illness and the disabilities that go along with it are invisible too. I think there's a lot of time about having to get really clear on who I am and what. And you know, it's just like Jenna was talking about, what are my core values? And how can I still express those and Mm -hmm. reach those um, in different ways than I used to be able to And, you know, this is another great thing, too, about being over 50, and and I also, part of what was going on too when I got sick is I was in early menopause and nobody was diagnosing that oh, yeah. too. Like the menopause thing just went out the window. Um, but so now, like, so here I'm, I'm 52. I've got this chronic illness. I'm through menopause now and I really have a, who gives up, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> attitude about a lot of stuff too. It's a lot easier to throw a lot of stuff
2: away because yeah. again, you
1: like, you really got to sort through the trash and be like, what what's helpful? What's not helpful yeah. here?
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh my gosh. That's really inspiring to hear I don't see it as, well, just look on the bright side, but it (laughs) it, it is also being able to say, and this that I have been experiencing also comes with allowing me a different perspective. And that perspective is, I'm not my body. I'm not these labels that I have of myself. I don't know what I am, but I'm something more than that. And being able to connect with, what would be most meaningful and sort of what you want your life to be in the service of from an act perspective, we call those values like that. If there is some core to us, I'm going to nominate that. Yeah.
0: You know, what's fascinating about that, Jenna. And I'm just taking it to, to expanding it to every illness is eventually at our end, every healthy person is going to have to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. in some ways the work that you're doing yes. now is the work of dying. It mm-hmm. is because Absolutely. That's uh, this is so hilarious because my partner's always like, why are you always talking about dying? And I'm <laughs> like, because I want to talk about living. And so I'm right. always in service of if we can attend to those uh to that spiritual core, if we can decide who we are now, if we know exactly how we want to live, we're almost prepared for death in a way because we're living. Isn't that what dying is supposed Mm -hmm. to teach us? Like Mm -hmm. for other people, it's fear. For me, it's a goal. It's like, how can I be the best version of who I am now? And in so many ways, Liz, what you've done is you've prepared yourself For all of the suffering everybody else is going to have to do probably at the end of their life. Well,
1: I kind of had an introduction to that from the concept of my mother dying when I was 26 years old. And she was only 58 years old when she died. So that was young. I went through that at an age where. Other people, I only had one other friend who'd lost a parent at that time. Wow. And then again, with my brother dying when he was 45 years old and my dad dying, and I um, was, I was, you know, orphaned and I was familyless at an age that most people are not that I know. Yeah. And so there's even a way in which, like, I went through all of that losing your parent, having to take care of them, you know, all that stuff before other people my age did. And um, it is. Kind of, um, I, none of those things were blessings. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. I'm saying like what I can take away from It is it helps me be able to be clearer and more there for my friends who are going through that at a normal age mm-hmm. that you start going through because it. it's happening now.
2: Right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said, Sheila. That death teaches you something, and maybe this idea of wow, if if you sort of already learned at least some of those lessons about what death teaches us about what's important when you get to the end of everything and all of the trappings are kind of stripped away. You actually get to live your life with that knowledge rather than just be at the end of it. Yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. I'm always joking with my friends because they're all, you know, like I am the most cluttered person. And and they're all always like, how do you stand that? And I was like, really? I am so certain at the end of my life <laughs> that I am not going to care about how my bed was made. I am seriously not concerned. I'm concerned about creating. I'm concerned yeah. about being there for my friends. I'm concerned about a wonderful, wonderful show. Yeah. I don't care about whether or not I have a hospital edge on my bed at
2: all. <laughs> oh, you he, don't. Here lies Sheila. She was so tidy. <laughs> is right. not, is, that's not your thing? <laughs> oh. oh. Well, it's so,
1: it's so inspiring to watch you, Sheila. You know, I see your social media posts and uh, it's so joyful the way you and your family are out there and really embracing life for that same reason. It's like you've looked at death right in the eyes yeah. and you've You know, made a decision about, well, what am I going to do with the days that I have? It's
0: so true. I honestly think if there's anything that we can learn from like Stephen Hawking, from some of the people Mm. who have suffered the most and even in their biggest limitation, they find a way to create to share, to continue to write, to continue to to mold other people's minds. I love this, that you're continuing to do it, Liz. I hope you have so many books in you. I'll (laughs) read every single one. Liz Prado again, thanks very much. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, we would love for you to help out at the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care. They support um, Beyond Well and everything that we're doing here. Thanks again and have a great day.